It's great to have you here on this Thanksgiving weekend, and uh, I'm looking forward to spending some time in Scripture with you. I'd like to invite you to take a Bible, please, and uh, turn to Acts chapter 8. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, you'll notice there's one in the pew rack in front of you, and uh, if you don't own one, take that home as our gift to you, please, today. Acts chapter 8 is where we're going to look in just a few minutes. Acts is uh, right, after the first, uh, right after the biographies of Jesus, the Gospels. Notice Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell the story of Jesus. Then the next book after that tells the story of the early church, what happened in the life of the church immediately after Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. And so we're going to look at a beginning portion of the early church today. But in order to um, kind of... Well, I'll just tell you what happened, on, and you'll see why I'm telling you this in just a few minutes it, on Wednesday of this week, I had to be downtown at 11 o'clock for an event, uh, an appointment. And um, frankly, in the days leading up to that, um, Monday, Tuesday, and into Wednesday, but particularly Monday and Tuesday, it had been pretty rough uh, in the lives of a number of different families here in the life of the church. And it's not appropriate for me to go into the details, but the, the reality of ministry, if you can understand this, is... It's my responsibility, those of us who are on staff, it's our responsibility that we're supposed to run toward, the, run toward the mess. Does that make sense? Instead of running away from it, we're supposed to say, okay, how can we get engaged in that? How can the word of God get engaged in your life and so forth? And so uh, there's, there've been some, not difficult days, but just kind of like full of stuff. And so Wednesday morning rolled around and all this stuff was flying through my head and how are we gonna impact this and how are we gonna help these situations? And frankly, I, I needed just a few minutes to myself to kind of pray it through. So I had the event in downtown Decatur, 11 o'clock. It's about 45 minutes. It's lunchtime, I think. You know, once a week I allow myself comfort food. I get so tired of salads. So what's some, com you all know what comfort food is for me? McDonald's, you got it. <laughs> Nothing beats McDonald's if you really want some comfort, I'm telling you that. So. I went by the, the McDonald's on, on, um, on West Elder Radio, where I'm talking about. It went, kept going on there and went up Oakland. And I, was, I went up to our area, the block. We, we have uh, some places in the GM Square neighborhood where the church is actively engaged there. And I pulled into an empty driveway. There wasn't a house in the lot. And I thought, I'm just going to sit here in, in our block. And I'm going to pray over the block and pray over these situations. And I'm going to have this lovely food. And... Um, out of the corner of my eye, as I'm parked this way and the sidewalk's going this way, I can see a guy walking down the car, sidewalk toward me and I took a quick glance and I go, oh, you've got to be kidding me. And it's, it's a guy, he's a panhandler in town. I've known him for years and many times he's come and asked for help and we help him out and so forth and so on. So his name is Alan and um, he's walking towards the car and I'm thinking, maybe if I don't acknowledge him, he won't see me which is really compassion oozing out of me to no end. <laughs> You've been there, right? You've kind of been compassionate as long as you can handle compassion. And you're like, I don't... Uh. So anyway, so he, he comes and he knocks on the window of the car. Great. So I turn, turn the car back on and roll the window, because it's electric, I roll the window down and... Um, Hey, Alan, how are you? Hey, Pastor, I'm so glad to see you. And I'm thinking, oh, oh, and I've got that red box of fries in my hand. And I'm thinking, oh, God, don't ask, don't, don't have him ask for my fries. I want to keep my fries. And all the, whatever happened, can I keep my fries? He can have the burger, but can, 
And he says, do you have 72 cents, Pastor? I said, yeah, I got 72 cents. And I had change there in the console. I gave him the change. And he needed bus fare. And he's got bags of groceries and everything. And, and so <laughs> this is in the, in the space where we're saying we're going to do ministry. Okay? That's my mindset. And he says to me, uh, Pastor, what you got scheduled for um, Thanksgiving? And I said, well, the kids, you know, our kids, local kids are coming over, and Ben and Courtney are coming from Michigan. They're bringing their big dog. We're going to have Leslie's parents with us, so we're going to have a really full table. It's going to be a blast. <laughs> you know what this guy did? He said, messed with my head so badly. He said, can I pray for your Thanksgiving? And he reached his hand in. I'm, I'm, I'm in the awkward position of being down low, looking up at him, holding onto my fries still. <laughs> and he reaches down, he puts his hand inside the door and puts his hand on my shoulder. And he prayed the most powerful prayer you could ever expect. I mean, here's a guy that for the last 20 years, it's, it's us or me giving him things. And now he's praying for the pastor. Lord, I don't know what's going on in this man's life, but I pray that he would be reminded that through the power of Jesus Christ, this is the language he's using, through the power of Jesus Christ, he's more than an overcomer in Christ. And that he'd have a great Thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. And I'm looking, dude, where, I mean, I didn't say it, but I said, where did that come from? How come I haven't heard that in the last 20 years? And off he went. I still have my fries. Some observations. We as a congregation say that we're going to go work in our adoptive block area with some pretty intentional ministries in the days ahead, and that's all needed, and we need to be engaged. But sometimes we need to recognize that even as we go do that, it's not us always about us giving, but sometimes it might be about us receiving. And so um, to help you understand that a little more, I've asked BJ, Pastor BJ, to come and spend a couple minutes with me and to remind you of what we do down on Adopt the Block and why we're asking you to consider being part of this step-in project. Did you see that in your bulletin today? Would you pull that out? So BJ, tell us what the plan is down there with you and Mary and the girls and so forth. Sure, well, uh, First Christian Church has been in, involved in Adopt a Block uh, down in the GM Square neighborhood now for about two years. And uh, it's been a great two years. We've had an opportunity to do a number of events down there. Uh, we do adopt a block twice a month, and we've had some block parties and some other special events, VBS and such. And probably the congregation doesn't know this, but we actually own two lots down there right now that the city gave us because they've watched us go in and mow the lawns and clean up people's homes and get engaged in people's lives. So the city council, council members acknowledged that and gave us two empty lots. So we have space down there already that we, that we can say is ours in the block already. Yeah, yeah, so we, we, we've got those lots, we've got that space, but uh, one of the things that, that we're lacking is that uh, we don't just want to go in and you could say be visitors and do ministry and then pack up and leave and, and go back home. Really what we would love to be able to do is have a, have a house. Uh, in the block where uh, we could have a, a home base for ministry. It would be a, a ministry center. And uh, essentially then we would, uh, we would become residents. We, we would become neighbors um, with, uh, with the people living there. And obviously that would open up doors for, for ministry opportunities and for really for all of you to be able to get involved on an even greater level because we would have a, a year-round facility. We would have a kitchen and living room and, and uh, bathrooms and, and everything there. So the plan at this point is to, we've, we've put a bid on a house down there, and past, it's a two-story house, 
BJ and Mary and the girls are going to live upstairs as, an, as a constant presence in the neighborhood, if you will, missionaries into that culture, missionaries into that setting, and then the lower floor would be used for, for community events, if you will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, we would love to be able to see uh, Bible studies take place and, uh, you know, different classes, cooking classes and, and mom's groups and, you know, all kinds of uh, events. And really, uh, you know, the sky's the limit in terms of, of what we can do in that space. So that's why we want you to um, take a look at that step-in project and maybe help us out with that as we come to the end of the year. What do you hope to see come as a result of this? Well, um, we would love to be able to see our investment uh, in the neighborhood increase. Uh, We would love to be able to extend uh, neighborliness uh, to the people around. And uh, as we do that, as we invest in people's lives, as we uh, build that trust and gain that credibility, we would love to be able to see that open up then uh, doors to be able to really share the message of the gospel, the hope that we have in Jesus. Right, and who knows, they may share it with us too as I experienced yeah. this past week. And so um, BJ's, we're hoping to pull that off fairly early in the new year as we move our way to it. We've got to put a house, if we buy that house, if it all works through, we get that house. We have to think about the family living upstairs and what, is it, what do we do to create safety and a place of privacy for them and yet at the same time, ministry center. So I want you to pray about that and also consider being part of that. And BJ, we're glad you're leading the charge on that, bud. Um, another reason we're asking you to this, look at this step in is because our kids ministry program continues to grow and expand, which is really good news. We had 16 babies get dedicated last weekend. And let me tell you, it was a noisy event. Uh, here, all the children are down the hallway and it's lovely and quiet and you know, very adult-like in here, so to speak. It wasn't that way. We, I mean, as a matter of fact, there were so many of them and so many families. Uh, afterwards, the staff had a discussion and said, we can't do these every five or six months now. We have to kind of up, up the frequency just because we have so many babies, babies on the way and children who arrive. And so uh, the step-in project here coming to the end of the year is so that we can double the space of children's spaces uh, that we have here in the building so that we can make more room for some more families. So... Um, my observation after my conversation with Alan this week and sitting in the car holding those fries is the places where God has led us and ways in which we're going about ministry, we just got to keep moving it forward. And so if you'd consider being part of Step In in the coming months, we certainly would appreciate that. Or in the, particularly in the coming weeks, pardon me, we hope to actually see if you would step behind it, particularly on the weekend of the 13th and 14th. If you have to say, hey, I'll do it by the end of the year, I'll do, help you out before the end of, say, Easter or something, we can figure that out, but just be mindful of that. So that's my first observation. The second observation of my conversation with Alan is this. You, could, you should never judge a book by its cover. I've worked with Alan and dealt with him for a lot of years, and he's a man with all sorts of struggles, and fair enough. And you always want to go, why are you choosing this lifestyle, and what's with that, and all sorts of stuff. But on the other hand... If you, were to see, if you were to see this man, you'd go, this man certainly doesn't know Jesus. <laughs> man, did he blow me away this week? Because for the last 20 years, it's been me always responding to his needs. And yet, in the moment when I needed somebody to pray for me, somehow or other you heard the Spirit of God say, I should pray for the pastor. Don't judge a book by its cover. You wouldn't have expected, I, I didn't, I, I'm still sitting here today blown away by the way in, with all, way in which all that took place. And I'd say about the same about us sitting here today, very religious like sitting in pews. Don't judge a book by its cover. 
because some of you may sit here and be trying to tell other people or let other people think that you've got your act together with God. And maybe some of us don't. And I'll, say the, I'll use the word us. Sometimes we don't. Why am I saying that? Well, it goes back to what I've been saying the last few weeks. If we as a congregation are reach, going to reach 10% of this community for the cause of Christ, which we say we're going to do, that in the next 10 years we want to see 10% of this community come to know Christ who doesn't know Jesus today, that means the influence of this church is going to have to spread this way, but by golly, I pray that we don't, by going this way, become, just spread who we are and become shallow. We've got to become deep, and so I'm not... I'm concerned that in going this way, that we don't become shallow and that God would call us instead to go, go, help us go deeper. And that we not just spread theological information through the city, but we see lives transformed for the sake of Jesus Christ. And so let's start here. Again, I'm asking you. Let's start here by asking of our own selves. If God's going to call us to go out there, how about right now in this room, how deep is your understanding of your walk with Christ? Do you know Christ? If you don't, then my hope is that before this day is over, before this service is over, I'm expecting some of you to make a shift in your spiritual life today. And um, as you know, we've got people who are planning to get baptized today, if you've been with us the last few weeks. And maybe you didn't come expecting to get baptized today, but if so, uh, you'd like to make a change in your life and say, I want to affirm that, if you will, by baptism, we're going to get some people wet today. And so before the, end of the, before the day is through, maybe this is for you. So I want you to listen with me to what the Spirit of God would say to us beginning in Acts chapter 8, verse 26. We read this, that an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the, de- to the road, the desert road, the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandaki, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet and the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? And the guy says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading, and he's reading from Isaiah 53, okay? Make note that it's Isaiah 53, because this is going to come back to us real soon, 5-3, okay? He's reading Isaiah 53, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he didn't open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? He's trying to figure out, what on earth does that mean? I'm reading this, and this is supposedly important Scripture, but what does it mean? And so the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news of Jesus. Something about this story of Jesus really resonated with this man. And he hears all about Jesus. And so as they travel along the road, verse 36, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? What can stand in the way of me saying, I'm, I'm, I'm believing, I'm taking all this in. I'm saying that Jesus is the Christ. I'm saying that Jesus is the son of the living God. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bind my life to his from now on. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. 
And Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch didn't see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Let me give you just a little bit of background to this so, so that you can understand it. And then after that, some reading between the lines, okay? We don't know a whole lot about Philip. We know just a bit about Philip here some 2,000 years after this event occurred. We don't know that if Philip followed Jesus Christ as an early disciple or if he was, um, became a disciple after Jesus' resurrection, probably after Jesus' resurrection. Because after Jesus' resurrection, he went from a band of about 500 followers of Jesus Christ to literally thousands overnight. Once they saw and heard of the resurrection and knew what the implications were, I mean, suddenly you went from a, a fairly small church, if you will, to a mega church. Thousands of people claiming within the city of Jerusalem, we want to follow Jesus Christ. And the whole city was um, envying. They were, there was a lot of envy of what was taking place. And at that point, they weren't even called Christians. They were simply followers of the way. And really... The church at that point was a subset of Judaism. But the long story short is that we think Philip came to Christ then probably because very quickly he rose to the level of leadership within the early church and was appointed a ministry leader. Actually, they gave him a title known as deacon. And he's responsible for leading a particular area of benevolent ministry within the life of the church. And as this church exploded, Thousands within the city are following Jesus Christ and the local religious leaders are a little bit worried that this sect of Judaism is going to run amok. And so they arranged for Christians to begin to face some pretty significant persecution. In fact, they have the, we have the beginning of martyrdom. On the side, quietly, sort of unofficially, yet with their... Um, acquiescence in their leadership, the leaders arranged for one of the Christians to be the first Christian martyrs. His name was Stephen. And as that began to be seen, that his martyrdom had impact upon the local church there in Jerusalem, Christians began to say, man, this is getting dangerous to follow Jesus. Maybe we should leave Jerusalem. You have in Acts 2 and Acts 4 this story where everybody loves everybody and the church is kind of this big, happy circle. And now one of the members has been killed. And so the church says, we've got to get out of here. And so they began to spread out around the Mediterranean basin. And as they spread out in fear, it's called the first Christian diaspora. As they spread out, as they kind of disappeared all around the Mediterranean, the good news was they took with them the story of Jesus Christ. And it's really the first way in which the church spread dramatically. It appears that Philip was one of those who was willing to leave Jerusalem and go talk to whoever people he came across and tell them about Jesus Christ. And so we have here in Acts 8 this, this narrative, if you will, of him speaking with a man who has a deep interest in spirituality. And we know from the story here in Acts 8 that this Ethiopian eunuch hears the story of Jesus. He believes, he accepts the message. He says, I'm in, I'm in, this is for me. And he chose to get baptized. So there's the story, that's the reasons for the story, but I've got a question for you today. See if you can put some theological hats on and some thinking on, with some understandings of the delicate issues regarding um, a castrated man. All right, that's what a eunuch is. And two questions then. Why is scripture 
pointing out the man's national origin and his physical condition. Why is, it, why is it mentioned that he's Ethiopian? And there's great detail about, you know, that he leads in the nation of Ethiopia. And why the issue that it keeps, and scripture keeps calling him the eunuch? Why that, why that word over and over again, we're, we're, we're told to, where you kind of go, whoa, that's a bit wild. Well, I want you to think about some of the rules of Judaism leading up to this. This is where we read between the lines and can get a better understanding. May I remind you that one of the rules of Judaism that was in play at this point is that a relationship with God was only available to Jews or Jewish converts. So this man is outside Judaism, so he can't be in a relationship with God. In addition, so that's because of his national origin. But in addition, because of his physical condition, he was in dire straits when it came to a relationship with God. Because look at what Deuteronomy chapter 23 says. No one who has been emasculated, castrated, by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. Now I know this is delicate stuff, but we're all adults and I think you... Being adults, we can read between the lines and understand here. Crushing, namely by an accident, or cutting by surgery. All right, either case, no matter the situation that caused him to be a eunuch, Judaism's rule was, if that has happened to a man, he can't come into the assembly of the Lord. He has to stay away from the gathering of the synagogue. He has to stay away from the presence of God. This guy's got a trouble, and he's trying to read Isaiah and understand. He wants to know about the things of God, but in addition to those issues, there's this, this general mistrust between Jews and Ethiopians throughout the Old Testament. They were known as Cushites, the nation of Cush. And um, they had often been seen as enemies of Israel in the centuries before Jesus was alive. And um, we read scripture and we learn a lot about the Ethiopians, the Cushites. Scripture tells us and describes the Cushites as tall people with smooth skin, and apparently they had an excellent navy because they were noted for the way in which they could ply the seas with boats made out of papyrus. So the navy that the Israelites were worried about. I mean, think about the people of Ethiopia today. They are tall, Africans, right? With, often with very smooth skin. That's their lineage, that's their heritage, that's who they are. And you could say then that this man, in regards to having a relationship with God in the way in which Jews understood it, in the way which we would say prior to the coming of Jesus Christ is the only way to have a relationship with God, this Ethiopian man has two strikes against him. He's from the wrong nation. And even if he was to convert, he's still physically damaged in a way that can never be repaired in a profound way that is going to eliminate his ability to have a relationship with the one true God. Two strikes against him. Yet. That's the setting. Yet what happens in the story? In the story, as a result of the coming of Jesus Christ, all of that changed. And there's tremendous... Again, read between the lines as to why, here's the question, why does scripture mention the, the fact that he's Ethiopian and that he's a eunuch? Because we can quickly then understand the implications of this passage of scripture for us. That no matter our background, no matter where we come from, our national heritage, no matter where we come in terms of a family lineage, and no matter the color of our skin, and secondly, no matter our background, but no matter how damaged we are, think about it, this man is, 
experienced probably the most intimate, private damage that a man could ever experience. No matter how damaged you are in the depths of your soul, you can experience God. You can experience God. And what's really cool is that this Ethiopian man is reading from Isaiah 53, right? Isaiah was written 600 years or so before the coming of Jesus Christ. And yet look at what is read and what what is written in Isaiah 56. It's almost like the passage of Isaiah 56 is written exactly for this guy. Isaiah 56 says this. So he's just reading 53. He's saying, I can't understand it. Somebody explain it to me. And look where Isaiah 56 goes. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no unit complain, I'm only a dry tree. Does this describe him? He's reading Isaiah 53. If he just keep reading, by golly, he would have seen that 600 years before he, this took place in his life, God had already made a way. To them I'll give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. Why that? Well, here's a guy who could never have sons and daughters. And in that culture, in our culture, but in that culture even more so, it's really important that the family tree keep going and that the family name be able to carry on. And yet he knows that when, when he dies, his family name dies, right? But now they'll get a name better than sons and daughters. I'll give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Huh. What are we saying here? Those on the outside are brought in. I, I, I love this because it shows that the early story of Christianity, long before you and I ever came along, the story of early Christianity was that Jesus Christ came for all people, for people who were far from God. Here we have um, a man from Africa, a black man, the first black convert to Christianity. Us white Europeans, if you're a white European here today, we, we, we hadn't even been thought of yet in history. But here you have Christianity growing up within Judaism, and you've got an African man, one of the first converts. You've got people from outside the nation with all sorts of odds against him, and he became a Christian. What's it say? It says that Jesus' message is for all people. Those on the outside are brought in. That's why we're doing 10. It's not to grow our church. That might happen. But we were saying, can we touch 10% of this community? Not seeking church transfer so everybody would come here, but can we see 10% of the people who don't know Jesus Christ in this community, who are on the outside, brought into the faith of Jesus Christ, and what church we send them to after that? We'll figure that out. They'll help us figure it out. That's why I'm, we're being very intentional as leaders to say, Yancey, don't just invite, but bring. Hear the difference? Don't just invite, but bring somebody. Christmas Eve is coming up. We've got six services. Don't just invite people, but bring them. In the coming weeks, you're going to get a postcard that looks just like that. You can get as many of them as you want. And you can say, hey, I'm going to go to three Christmas Eve services. If you've got friends and they don't attend church, and they've got this time and this time and this time, bring three sets. Come to three services. You can handle it. I promise I'm not that boring Trust me, the staff are going to listen six times. They're going to be done with me from there. But the point is, don't just invite, but bring. Because I love what this story is about. You've got, you've got this Ethiopian guy in a chariot, and Philip runs into the situation. He runs to the mess. 
And he says, do you understand what you're reading? Can I get engaged in your life and tell you the story of Jesus Christ? His job that day was interpreting scripture. Our job as the people of God in this community, not the only people of God, there are plenty of great churches in this community, but as the people of God of First Christian Church, our task is to run to the mess and say, do you understand what you're reading in your life? Do you, as you read your way through life, as you work your way through life, do you understand what's going on? Can I tell you the story about Jesus Christ? Isn't that my job today in many ways to say, let's look at scripture and I would ask you, do you understand what you've read that I should have the responsibility today to interpret scripture for you in many of the same ways that Philip did for the Ethiopian man? What do you think he said in that chariot? Okay, I'm going to interpret scripture for you. What do you think he said? Well, we have it. Verse 35. Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. I don't know exactly what language, but if you start with that passage of scripture and you tell the good news about Jesus, here's the story that he would have had to describe in some way or other. He would have had to say that there was a time when humans walked with God and we have this great story out of, the, out of the Garden of Eden where God walks with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day and they get to have this really intimate relationship with God. And God, direct, God directs their lives day by day and they get to say, how should we do this tomorrow? And he would tell them, and how, what's going on in your lives? And then they decide that that's not good enough for them and they choose to sin and at that point... God says, I cannot be with sin in any way, and they have become alienated from God. They, it's, it's, we say it this way theologically. Eternal separation from God and an eternal hell because God cannot let sin touch him. And from that point on, humanity has been this, in this tremendous struggle to can we figure out who God is. And so physical death became part of who we are. Did you know that prior to sin, we weren't designed to die? I don't know how it would work, how it worked out, that our bodies got old, but we didn't. I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. But death entered into our story with sin. Not only physical death, but eternal death. A complete and full alienation and separation from God from all of eternity. Hell. But then God sends Jesus Christ and says, I will send my son. My son will die in your place. Theologically, we call it substitutionary atonement that Jesus would die and take our penalty, that he would physically die, that he would physically visit, visit hell and defeat all of that. And his life is now available to you and to me. And if we accept his work on our behalf, then our life is changed, that alienation between individuals and God is eliminated and the eternal destiny of hell is foregone. And the result is that we can choose to allow Jesus Christ to be our Savior and our Lord. And I would admit that when many of us hear that language, it's just like going straight over the top of our head. I'm going to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. And we have no idea what that means in our day. What's a Lord? Isn't that the guy on that TV show? What's that show that's on TV? I don't know. It's just completely. It's coming out in January. The big BBC thing where the guy's the Lord of the mansion. Oh, Downton Abbey. Okay. I'm gone off on a tangent, pardon me. But that's the point. We have no idea what the idea of Lord is, right? Okay? Can I put it this way? We use this language around here that when we say we want Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, this is our understanding it in American language, American English of the, of the 21st century, wanting to be our leader and forgiver. 
We want Jesus' work at Calvary, at the cross, to provide forgiveness of our sins, and then based on that forgiveness of sins, we're gonna ask him to be in charge of our lives. We're gonna ask him to lead us. And the result is a life transformation, not just theological information, but a life transformation. Have you experienced that? Throughout the last decades within the U.S., particularly within Western culture, but I'd say particularly within the U.S., there have been different ways that that, I, that business of saying, I'm going to make Jesus Christ my leader and forgiver, there have been different ways that that have been presented. For example, um, those of us who are old enough, who might remember the 50s and 60s, um, would know that coming out of World War II, the 50s and 60s, at least the early 60s, um, the ethos of the, nat- of the nation was, who do I get to belong to? Rotary clubs and civic organizations became very popular, much more popular than they are today. And it was a case of the nation had been so scattered all around the world taking care of World War II that as they came back and, and the GIs came back and they started building their families, it was, who can we belong to? And in many ways, the church became the social expression of that belonging. And so the way in which people would declare that Jesus Christ was their Lord and Savior was through church membership so that they could say, this is where I belong. And you really, in many ways in those days, couldn't be an upstanding citizen in the nation without belonging to a church. Billy Graham was perhaps the most successful uh, man in the nation who was able to express that. And he would, he would invite people in these huge crusades in the 50s and 60s particularly, where people would come and they would stand in front of a stadium and they'd, they'd make a proclamation of faith. I'm inviting Jesus into my heart and I'm inviting him to lead me for the days ahead. And so um, maybe you are, maybe you saw him on television. Maybe you went to a crusade and we found a clip this week, 1957. This is a, a, a short clip of Billy Graham issuing an altar call, they were called. Come forward to the front. This is from August of 1957 in New York, him standing in front of thousands of people and inviting them to come in, give their lives to Christ, and to join. Watch the clip. Some of you give your life to Christ tonight for the first time. Others of you can come and rededicate your life and say tonight, I'm going to surrender my life to Christ anew and afresh. I'm going to give myself to him. All over this place, God is speaking to hundreds and thousands of people. All of you that will come tonight and receive Christ and say, I'm going to begin. I give myself to him. I come to the foot of his cross, renouncing my sins and failures. I'm coming and give myself to him as Savior and Lord. I'm going to ask you to come. I'm going to ask you to come out of your seats from all over this great building from up in the balconies all around you come and stand quietly right here in front and say tonight I give myself to Christ if you're with friends and relatives they'll wait on you if you're in a delegation they'll wait on you but I'm going to ask you to come right now while every head is bowed and every eye is closed and the choir sings softly just as I am men women young people That's right, quickly, right up out of your seat everywhere, you come. While these many people are coming here, bow your head. Say yes to Christ. Let him come into your life and make you a new person. 
change the whole direction of your life. You can do it right now. God bless you. He saw literally millions of people respond to that in his ministry. I love the way in which as that broadcast is coming to an end, he takes his attention away from the crowd in the auditorium and he comes and he looks right in the camera and he's got it figured out. I'm beaming into millions of homes right now and people have an opportunity to make a decision. It was all about, it was all about you know, we're going to belong to the right thing. And it was very valid, very valid. It, it's kinda, it doesn't work quite so well anymore in many ways because people don't, they don't have that same need that the people had of the 1950s and 60s to belong. Because think about how, it, how our culture as a nation changed in the 60s and 70s. We became, as a nation, quite um, suspect of institutions, including the church. We faced Vietnam and Watergate. And the hippies didn't want anything to do with the establishment. And all they wanted to do was love people. All you need is love. But, but, the Beatles, right? All you need to do is love. And, and if we could just, and, and Christians took that and said, we're going to love people into the kingdom. Jesus people became extremely, those were the hip, they were Christian hippies in VW vans going across the country, and they, were, they had tremendous results. We have a church, a great church in our city, Maranatha Assembly of God, which in many ways was formed coming out of that movement. And, and uh, the hippies, the Jesus people came to town, and Maranatha started. It's a long story, but that's basically it. It changed again in the 80s into the 90s. The Reagan, Reagan economic boom was in play, and people wanted to know, how do I as an individual get involved in all of that and get to experience that? And so then what people would say, they would take that same thinking and apply it to their religious life, and it was, I would like to be informed about the things of Christ, and then it became study, and so books like Rick Warren's The Purpose Driven Life became very important to so where we are today, where the internet is all, and all of our ethos is about who are you connected to and how many friends do you have on Facebook? Are you linked in? And so forth and so on. Do you, do you follow Instagram or do you follow Twitter and so forth and so on? And now it's all about connecting people and how those connections empower people. And in many ways, now the church is all about can we connect people with Jesus Christ? Now, I, I want to say to these today, Regardless of what decade you identify with, and maybe you identify with the 50s and 60s, maybe you identify with the 2010s and you say, I, I don't get the altar call thing. I don't get the belonging thing, but I do get the connecting thing. Regardless of where you are today, you need to be in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Everyone in this room needs this. All of us are on the outside apart from Jesus Christ. All of us are damaged deeply apart from Jesus Christ. And I would suggest, as a matter of fact, to do more than suggest, I implore you to take the story of Philip and the story of the, this, this Ethiopian eunuch. Take it to heart. Believe the story of Jesus Christ and respond in the same way he did. The Bible is our example on our, our bar. He responds by believing. He responded by then getting baptized. And you, no matter what background you're from, no matter what nation you're from, no matter what your family story is, no matter how damaged you may be deep down inside that no one else knows about, you can experience God. There are a number of different ways you can respond. I, I, I said last week, I pray we all come to the maturity with, within our relationship with God when, that when the Holy Spirit tugs at the depths of our soul that we'll be mature enough to respond immediately. Are you mature enough today to say, I need to become a Christian. I need to say that Jesus Christ, I'm going to rely on him for forgiveness and I'm going to allow him to be the leader 
of my life. For some of you today, you need to make that decision today for the first time here in this room right now. I can't employ you enough. As a matter of fact, we're going to do this. If you would like to make that decision today, if you'd like to say, I want to find a way in which to declare that, a way in which to make it quite profound for me, then here's what we're going to do. In a few moments, a few moments, the congregation is going to stand and we're going to, we're going to pray and we're going to step into a time of communion together. And during communion, as the congregation stands for that first prayer, if you'd say, I got to get this right with God, I'd like to talk with someone about that. There'll be staff at the back of the room, out in the lobby, we'd be glad to talk with you, pray about this with you. If you're here today and say, I, I want to go, I'm going to do exactly what that Ethiopian did. I'm going to, I'm going to make this declaration, I'm going to follow it with baptism, then we're going to be, we'll be ready for you. We've got the water ready. We've got clothes that you can put on. We're fully prepped. We've got some people already we know are planning to get baptized throughout the morning, so that's cool, but you want, you're welcome to join them. I would say this. The Ethiopian asked this question. How can I understand unless someone explains it to me? And then he goes, oh, but now that you explained it, look, here's some water. I should declare what's important. And so I want you to hear this. The story of Jesus Christ is for anyone. For anyone who say, oh, it's not part of my tradition. That I, that's what the, I don't get, I, he was from outside. It's, the story is for, of Jesus is for anyone who is far off. You might think that you're not the right kind of person who can be religious. And you're far off from being whole and healthy. And you say you're damaged, if you will. Whatever the case, God's made a way for you to know him through Jesus Christ. And I invite you to respond today. How can you respond? Go hang out with some staff members and pray with them. Or go out in the lobby and say, I want to get baptized. In the long run, if you pray with us, we're going to get you wet. So you might as well do it all today. You could do that, all right? But maybe that needs to be a step process. I get that. But I'm inviting you to stand together, please, right now, and let's pray. Lord, I pray right now that you would speak to hearts and that we would be men and women who respond. That's it simply. And Lord, if there's someone here today who doesn't yet know you and they need to kind of make this decision and get after it, then work in their life. Put that tug of the Holy Spirit deep within their soul, Lord and give them the maturity and the courage to respond. And then, Father, for um, somebody maybe here today who's walking with you, but they've never been baptized, they have to be like the Ethiopian. Here's some water. What's standing in the way of me getting baptized? Lord, speak to all of our hearts. We're so thankful that no matter where we come from, and no matter how damaged we are, you've made a way for us in Jesus Christ. For that, we give you great praise today. And we, we thank you. Jesus. Amen. So as you're seated, before you're seated, here's the deal. If you're serving communion, go get ready for it. If you want to get, get through, go through this process with us, step to the back. In the meanwhile, you may be seated, and Joshua's going to lead us through communion together.